As you're being seated, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles or bring it up on a device, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be, we've been learning over these weeks from this prayer, again, not just trying to learn the prayer, as important as that is, but to really learn the, the heart or the mo- why we pray this and really become more fabric of our lives. And today we find ourselves in verse 10. Jesus said, again, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And this is our phrase that we're going to camp out for the next little bit of time. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of officiating uh, a wedding down in the Lodi area. Um, this, these friends, uh, I've known these, uh, these friends of ours for about 16 years. Uh, Lori and I have been friends with them. And, and uh, I had the, their son was the groom. And uh, so I, it was a little uh, kind of... Uh, gave me perspective as I was standing before him and his bride there on on that a uh, few weeks ago and realizing I met him when he was in eighth grade. And now I'm standing before him doing his wedding. And that's uh, one of those moments you realize I'm getting older. And um, so it was just a beautiful setting. They own a uh, small 10-acre farm uh, down in the Lodi area. And that's their life. That's their job is farming. And uh, they're at many of the farmer's markets uh, that you might go to. Their produce is at many of the farmer's markets here in Medina and other areas. And uh, so it's just a beautiful setting. The weather was perfect. Um, as the sun set, it got better. Uh, it was about 90 degrees when I was wearing my suit. And uh, so as the sun went down, it got a little better. But just was this beautiful setting, ideal, picturesque wedding. And what also made the day really go well, especially even the reception, was there was no best man speech. (laughs) Took you a little bit to get that, didn't it? Uh, Now, this couple, they didn't have bridal parties. They just had their nieces uh, were part of the ceremony. So there wasn't uh, groomsmen or bridesmaids. Uh, So there wasn't even a chance of this happening. But we've all been there. Like, haven't you? Haven't we? Like, you, you're at the wedding. The wedding goes well. You're at the reception. The speeches start. And then the best man stands up. And I, I mean, I've been to a lot of weddings. I've officiated a lot of weddings. And I'd say about 80% of the time, I, I mean, there's a speech goes on. If we call it a speech, um, like, there's 80% of the time I'm like, buddy, like, that's enough. Like, stop. Like, just stop what you're saying. You don't have to say anymore. It, it almost feels like it's his wedding. You know, and Pyramus will say, it's not your wedding. You know, quick, short. Thanks for having me. It's great being your friend. Great. I love being your brother. Raise our glasses. Let's eat. You know, like that's what you need. And, uh, but, you know, and we've all been there. And if you've given one of those or you're giving one of those, getting ready to just uh, short is better and sweet. And, but, but yeah, like easily the wedding becomes all about them. And I want to say it's not about you that day. Rick Warren, in his best-selling book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, starts his book um, with that phrase, it's not about you. And it's, that's a pretty radical idea because we, if we're honest, even as the skit uh, that Alan Char- Charlotte just walked us through, uh, like life can all become about us. We can become very selfish and are at times very selfish people. It's, the world revolves around us. People revolve around us to meeting our needs, doing what we need them to do. And when they don't, there's conflict, there's tension that was portrayed even in the home and the marriage relationship and happens in the workplace, happens in families. And, and so it can easily, life can easily be all about us, the world revolving around us. And Rick Warren's statement at the beginning of his book, it's not about you, 
It kind of confronts us on that reality. In this prayer that we're learning about, we've been living in these last few weeks, it continues to knock us off the center. I hope you've picked up on that as we've moved through this. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Hallowed be your name. Not my name be magnified or glorified, but God's name, God's character be hallowed. Your kingdom come. God's kingdom come. Not our kingdoms, not us building a kingdom about us, followers for us, but God's kingdom. And then we get to this phrase today, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, your ways, your purposes, your plans be done, not mine. And this is where it might get a little even closer to home for us. Because let's be honest, we have some pretty strong wills, don't we? Some of you even received that label as a child. You were the strong-willed one. You, you, you might be a middle school, high school student who's here, and you, might have, you have that label right now. Like, you are the strong one in the home. Some of you here today still bear the scars of being that strong-willed child in your home. We have these wills, we have these ways, we have these purposes, we have our plans, what we want to do. And many times that's what goes forth. And that's why this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, teaches his followers, teaches us today is so, is so countercultural. It challenges, it grates against us, especially this part, part when he says, don't pray your will, but pray God's will. God, your will, what you want, your plans be done. So today we're going to unpack this a little bit. We're going to try to understand God's will being done. And I want to kind of come at it uh, from two different ways, kind of two sides of the same coin. We're going to talk about two things today, being with God and doing for God. I want to come at this will, doing God's will, what God wants us to do here on earth, as it is in heaven, in two ways. We can go out a lot of different directions, but I want to talk about being with God and being for God. And let's start with being with God. Being with God. And we'll get to that scripture there in Matthew in a moment. But you might say, this sounds very strange. Like, we're talking about doing for God, but, but we're starting with being with him. We're talk, when we talk about do, like, God, your will, many times we run naturally to the task, to the, what does God want me to do? What is the tangible ways he wants me to live? And then that's his will. And I, we'll get there, the doing for God. But I feel like we need to start at the place, where does that doing flow from? What motivates and what drives you and I to do for God? If we miss the motive, if we miss the heart, if we miss the, the catalyst, we can easily do all the right things and we're missing the relationship that we have with God. Because I believe it's out of that intimacy, it's out of relationship, it's out of knowing Him that we do. So I want to start at two sides of the same coin. Before we run to the doing, the tasks, the living out the will, your will be done. It's not just something we are to comprehend, but we're to do it. It's to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll get to that in a moment. 
But I want us to think about what drives us to do, to follow his will. So we need to talk first, I want to talk first about being with God. And you see that text there up on the screen before you. Matthew chapter 7, just one chapter to the right. Um, the same context the, the, of the prayer, of the Lord's Prayer. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, com- encompasses all of this teaching. Um, Jesus is saying all these things to the crowd that's gathered there on the hillside. Matthew chapter 7 is one of the more um, sobering texts in the Bible. Sobering. Um, the beginning of Matthew chapter 7, or the, the verses we're going to read, right before this, there's this call to watch out for false prophets. How do you, how do you know a false prophet? You, you look at the fruit, and that's one of the ways uh, Jesus outlines there of watching for false prophets. Um, watch their fruit um, and the way they live their lives, what comes from their life. But then, then he goes down, and it brings a very interesting perspective in verse 21. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So last week, we're talking about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. God's rule and reign. So here we learn that that, that there needs to be entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You just don't get entrance. There has to be entrance. And we would say that entrance comes through a faith, a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. So you need to get entrance. So not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he's saying, if you want to get in, you have to do the will of my Father. Do what he wants you to do. And then Jesus goes, and then Jesus says this. Many will say to me on that day, talking about the last day when they stand before God, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? So three things that these people are saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we drive out demons? And didn't we perform many miracles? Not just one, but many. So three things that I think we would naturally say, that's God's will. Wouldn't God want you to prophesy? Wouldn't God want you to perform miracles? Wouldn't God want you to heal, drive out demons? Like those would be natural, like this is what God wants us to do. This is his will. And then Jesus says this, and this is so sobering. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That is sobering. Outwardly, they are doing all the right things. They are prophesying, they're, 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 dry, they're setting people free, and they're performing miracles. And Jesus says, I never knew you. I don't know you. Now, he knows them. It's not like, where did you come from? He knows them. But this word know, we've talked about this before, even just a few weeks ago, when we finished up our series in First John, we talked about the word know. K-N-O-W. What does that mean biblically? And what it speaks about is intimacy, relationship, knowing someone beyond just about them. 
It, it, let, me try to, let me try to illustrate it. The last, um, last couple brown seasons, I've had the opportunity to be, I was invited to speak at one, a few other chapels on uh, Saturday nights before their games. And you might say, well, now that's we know why they're losing so much. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, so I, uh, Robert Brooks, the chaplain of the Browns, invited me to speak there a few times. And so we go up to the facility there in, in Berea and uh, the, the chapel services are held in their team meeting room. And, and so I've had the chance. I've had the chance to meet some of the players um, that are on the roster. I've had the chance to meet some of the coaches that show up uh, for the service that evening. And uh, so I've got to meet. I got to meet Hugh Jackson, uh, the coach, a few times. And, and so we've shook hands. We've exchanged short like, nice, thanks for coming, you're doing a great job, uh, like that, those types of conversations. Um, so it, with this idea of knowing is the difference between the way I know Hugh Jackson, the coach of the Cleveland Browns, and I know my wife Lori. Like, like I know about Hugh Jackson, like we, we, we've shook hands two times, exchange, short conversation, and then, but like, we don't really know each other. But Lori and I know each other. That's the difference in this little word, know. K-N-O-W. Jesus says, I never knew you. We didn't have relationship. We didn't have intimacy. I know about you. I know who you are. But we were not in relationship with one another. So when we talk about doing the will of God, I believe we first have to think about this relationship, the intimacy that the doing flows from. Because these people in this, pair, in this story that Jesus tells here are doing all the right things. They, like outwardly, like they're in. They're, they're prophesying. They're healing people. They're setting people free. And Jesus says, I never knew you. You're doing all the things, but without me. We'd have to remember the heart of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples was relationship. We can't, we, we're tearing it apart phrase by phrase, so it's easy to forget what we just talked about or even what we're going to talk about. But, but in this context of this prayer, the first part of the prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father. It's relationship. It's intimacy. It's a Father who wants to be with you and wants to show you, this is what I want you to do. This is my will. These are my plans. These are my desires. This is how I want you to live on this earth. But I want to tell you these things. I want to show you these things in my word. I, I want to be intimate with you so that from this place of intimacy, you do my will. You don't try to do it to prove you love me. Friends, I really think that, 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 that doing for God without relationship is just religion. Like, it's just doing all the right, like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, what I'm supposed to do. But we're doing it out of almost as I'm hoping to gain favor or acceptance or love when that's already there. And now we have this good father that says, I want to show you my plans. I want to show you what I want you to do. I have tasks for you. And they flow from a place of intimacy. I don't want us to become people that just do for God. But first we be with him. And then out of that we do. 
for him. That's the whole context of John 15. We're not going to go there. I thought about it, but we're not going to go there today. John 15, it's maybe a familiar passage. The, the vine and the branches. It's the whole first part of the passage is abide, remain, stay connected. And then the second part of the passage is all about bearing fruit. You can't have the bearing of fruit without the remaining. And sometimes we try to do all, like, this is what he wants me to do, but we miss the intimacy, miss the abiding, the connection, the power that is supposed to come from that place of intimacy. So we think about doing God's will. Let's first understand the importance of being with him in relationship, in intimacy, that we have a good father. And next, we want to think about doing. We want to think about doing, doing for God. And we'll get to Ephesians 2 there in a moment. But, but God's will isn't something that we just are to try to figure out and try to discern as we look at God's word and we study God's word and we meditate on God's word and we hear, like, this is how God wants me to live based on what his word says. It's not just something to say, I found it, I figured it out, but it's to be done. That's what Jesus even prayed. He says, when, this is how you're to pray. Your will be done, acted upon, lived out, not just talked about, but done, fleshed out. It's to be done. His will, God's will, overrides what I want to do. It overrides my desires. It overrides my plans. It overrides what my culture says I should do. It overrides what my political party says I should do. His will is supreme. It's his will be done, not my will. The book of James tells us that our faith, we have this faith, we have this belief, without works, without living it out, it's dead. It's non-existent. Faith was never to be devoid of works. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works to do. And that's this passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, beautiful Ephesians chapter 2 is just, I think, one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible. It just un, uh, lays out the gospel and God's grace and love. And so this is the tail end of it. Um, but it says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. So it's by grace. It's not works earned. We haven't earned it, but it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's nothing we did that someone could say, wow, look what they did to attain faith. It's, it's, it's a gift, uh, not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If it was by works, then someone could say, look how I got it, do what I did. But what grace does, grace says no one can boast because we're all sinners in need of God's grace. And then after this grace and faith, verse 10, it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's prepared. He's, given, he's prepared good works in advance for you and I. And I think even to some degree, he's prepared you and I for those works. He's matching up the preparedness that he's doing in us with the work and saying this is a perfect match with what I've already done in their life and who they are. So, so his will is to be done. Where? Jesus answers that question. Where is his will to be lived out? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth. Where you and I live. And it, the earth I want you to picture isn't the, uh, the earth picture from out of space, Hubble telescope picture like the big blue ball in the sky. Earth. 
But I want you to picture the Google Maps picture, like if you get on the street perspective and maybe they've taken a recent picture of, you know, the Google car goes by and, and it's a little strange when you're looking at the Google Maps picture of your house and you're in the yard. I'm like, whoa, that's a little weird. <laughs> you know, or your neighbors are in the yard or, you know, but like that's the earth I want us to think about when we think of your will be done in in, on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's on the ground. It's in, it's where we live. It's, it's in the neighborhoods you call home. It's in the schools, the hallways that you go to, uh, walk through for school. It's in the workplace, the place you show up Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, whatever days you work. It's, it's on the ground. And what this, that phrase in the prayer means is that where you and I go matters. You might not like your little place on earth right now. Like as you think of that place you call home, you might not like the size of it, the look of it, that plot of land, wherever, whatever, you know, wherever you occupy, that apartment, that condo you live in. But what this prayer does for me is it reminds me that where I live on earth matters. And that Jesus wants his will, God wants his will to be done there. Lived out there. Through us. When I was uh, about 7th or 8th grade... Um, the the place my parents, the home we lived in, had a had a beat up old shed out on the back of the property, and uh, it was there when my parents bought the house, and you know, somewhat dilapidated, the roof always needed work, and my dad it was one of those projects that my dad just kind of always put off, like it doesn't really matter, it's going to leak, I just keep a few things out there, it doesn't matter much, but it just kept deteriorating, deteriorating, deteriorating. And then one day, one Saturday morning, I remember waking up and I was eating, uh, I think, my Cocoa Puffs. And just, I was looking out the, the window, looked out to our backyard, and I saw my dad. He was setting up uh, some ladders around the shed and had some shingles that he was getting ready there. And I'm thinking, oh, today's the day. Dad's going to do the, sh- the roof. He's, you know, it's all ready. He's going to tackle that project today. So I'm eating my Cocoa Puffs. And, and my dad comes in after I, you know, sets it all up, the staging and the ladders and all that type of stuff around the, the shed. And he comes in the house and he, he just says simply to me, well, let's go out in the backyard. And I was like, oh, great. I got to help him do it. Okay. So, you know, I get changed real quick and we're walking out to the, out to the shed and to do the, you know, it wasn't the way I was planning to spend my Saturday. And uh, we get out there and he, he just kind of stops at the shed and he says, all right, it's all set up for you. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Come again? And he says, well, it's all ready to go for you. He says, I got the ladders, got the stage and the shingles are right there. He said, um, it's all set for you. I said, you're not going to help? He said, I'll watch. But he said, you're ready. You can do this. I had been on a number of roofs with my dad. Growing up, my dad's in the construction field. And so I'd been on a number of roofs with him already. And he just said, you know what you're doing. But he said, I'll be here to watch. And this is all set up for you. And he was there for the first few courses, and then uh, he slowly disappeared into the house to watch something on TV, and, and I was out there, I think, most of the day uh, doing that project, which should have taken just a few hours, but, but eventually completed it, and I, I, my dad felt, based on our relationship, that I was ready for that. It was a task that he said, this is for you. And friends, when we think about doing for God, sometimes we miss the relational intimacy 
that God has strategically placed you and your family in neighborhoods, in school settings, in friendships, in neighborhoods, wherever it is. And he's given you tasks that he says, you are set up for this. I've prepared this for you. And it's a gift. We, you and I, get to represent him to those around us, those that know him and those that don't. Maybe you heard the story of the kindergartner who was using watercolors to paint and the teacher came by and the teacher said, what are you painting? And the kindergartner said, I'm painting a picture of God. And the teacher said, we don't know what God looks like. And the kindergartner quickly just responded, we will in a minute. (laughs) I don't know if you think about this a lot, but you and I are giving off a picture of God. We're giving off a picture. People are wondering today, unlike any other time in history, what, does, what is God like? What is God like? And you know how God answers that question? He answers a lot of ways. But one of the ways he answers, what am I like? Look at my people. Look at my people. And you'll see what I'm like. And that's the invitation that you and I have. We've been invited in to represent God, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. God is redeeming all things. He's redeeming the earth. And we get a taste of that today through the way we live our lives, to doing his will, living out, giving a picture of who God is. I want to read, um, it's, it's a paragraph or so from a book that I've been slowly working through called Faithful Presence. It's written by a man named David Fitch. He's a professor, um, and he, he wrote that, again, the book Faithful Presence. And I just want to read this, and then I'll pray for us. It's up on the screen. It's a little lengthier quote, so I put it up on the screen so you can kind of follow along. But here's what David Fitch says in this book, Faithful Presence, showing up, being faith, being the presence of God, bringing the presence of God into all areas of life, doing God's will. David Fitch says, as we walk through our neighborhoods and we see the struggle and strife in the hallways of our schools, as we engage the hurting people around the tables in McDonald's and other restaurants, and as we face racial conflict in our city blocks, and as we feel the resistance to God's ways and His kingdom in all these things, we should first gather with someone and pray. He says we should submit these places and these situations to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom for God's work, and then participate fully as the Spirit manifests Christ's presence. We just don't pray. Prayer is vitally important. But we do. We should discern how to respond, realizing that we have been invited in into the presence of Christ's work and reordering the world. And even through suffering and even though pain, uh, even though suffering and pain might ensue, we know that as God has used the cross to rearrange the world, so too He will use us in our walking through suffering to rearrange people's lives in whole towns and villages. 
as, a visible, as visible realities of his kingdom. And I would even add his kingdom here on earth. That's the invitation. So as we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, we are joining. We are participating. We're saying, God, we're willing. Even as we sang, all I am. Like, we're willing. We are joining with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through our lives, friends, through our lives, people get an intersection of heaven on earth through the way we live our lives. Through the way we live. So this week, maybe as you go through your neighborhood, as you drive down the road to your home, as you pull into your parking spot in front of your apartment, as you, as you make your way to school, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to get your hair cut, might even this prayer be on your mind, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, this place that I'm going, these relationships, as it is in heaven, would your will be done. And I believe the more and more we pray this, the more and more our eyes will be open to opportunities God is giving us already to do this. Even as I shared even last week, I was going to the hardware store last weekend. I prayed this prayer. As I was going to get my hair cut this week, I prayed this prayer. Did, did, did the fire of God fall down in my barber shop? No. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted the haircut. So, um, but we were able to talk about some spiritual things. So we pray as we go through the normal mundane of life, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's accept that invitation. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'll pray, and then we'll sing a song as we wrap up this morning. Lord, God, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, for these moments. Thank you for this prayer. Thank you for how it's forming us and shaping us. And it's, uh, it's probably convicting. And I know it's convicting in many ways for my own heart and soul. And Lord, I want to thank you for the invitation that you extend to us. The grace you first extend to us, the relationship you offer, the, sa- the forgiveness you offer. Thank you that you allow us to be with you, be in relationship with you, that we're no longer your enemies, but we're your friends. We are your sons and your daughters. And from this place of relationship, we are invited to do, to live out, to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.